Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Faster my crazy day, my packed commute, all those unread emails in my inbox. But I'm getting stronger, faster, and pushing myself further every day. I don't care if I'm not like everyone else. This punching bag is the best way to end my day. <laughs> Fearless is knowing yoga isn't your style. That's the power of the Blue Cross and Blue Shield Federal Employee Program. Learn more about our healthy benefits at fepblue.org slash get more. Westwood One presents The Polsters. The Polsters. And now, Margie and Kristen. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mero, Democratic pollster with PSB Research. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So hopefully we're going to be able to get through this show without a PR disaster. I don't know, Margie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, at least I'm going to speak for myself. <laughs> I'm going to do my best to not insult the entire world over the next 40 minutes. We'll see. I, it, it could it, still happen. This could, be, this could be challenging. Well, this week's top lines, we're going to talk about who the prom king and queen are of the Senate and of the governorships. We'll look at approval ratings across our states for who voted like best as far as their elected statewide leaders. Then following the leader, do politicians win because they match up with voters or do voter attitudes follow politicians? We'll look at how poll responses change when you add Trump's name to the equation and how Republican voters fall in line behind the president. Then do people think that the media is out for Trump? Trump did get more glowing coverage for his action in Syria. Do voters agree with Trump's approach in Syria? And are you actually going crazy if you feel like you can't keep up with the news. And finally, what's the Easter Bunny bringing in people's baskets? According to polls, it's not Cadbury cream eggs. So everybody's opinions on candy is garbage because Cadbury cream eggs are the best. But we'll talk about what other inferior I, products people are eating. All right. Easter. We're going to have our first real fight. We'll, we'll wait. Oh, no. <laughs> but we'll just save that until the end. Oh, Stay God. tuned. <laughs> Maybe we will insult somebody. But first. Problems today. People who think young say, Pepsi, please. The lively crowd today agrees. Those who think young say, Pepsi, please. For those who think young. Let's talk about that Pepsi ad. <laughs> also, can I just say I'm super happy that we got two Britney songs back to back for the song of the week? Yeah, she goes with everything. She Appar- goes with everything. Apparently. Um, yeah, so the Pepsi ad is, you know, Kind of been overshadowed by some other PR disasters, but the folks at Morning Console, this is our poll of the week. The folks at Morning Console did like a dial test of online dial test of um, the ad where it's the kind of thing if folks who do ad testing out there, which we know is quite a few of you, um, it's a pretty common methodology where, you, you know, people have done this in person think Frank Luntz, but lots of people do it in person where, you know, people sit in a room and kind of dial as they're watching a speech or an ad, but you can also do it on Online and use a slider. Um, and it is a cool methodology to see exactly what people are responding to. And they showed both in the dial test and in their kind of post 
post closed ended questions that the Pepsi ad, you know, was pretty good. Especially yeah. with the youngs. This was – I remember last week seeing – I think it was either Variety or The Hollywood Reporter. One of these Hollywood industry pubs did a whole story about like look at all of this online outrage about the Pepsi ad. And every tweet example they had was like a Gen Xer or a boomer in Hollywood. Like Judd Apatow, Patton Oswalt, like all of these people. And I, I sarcastically commented like hot take. All of the people complaining about this ad are not actually people under the age of 25, which is the target audience. Right. Not to say that there wasn't backlash from the target audience, but it was just funny to me that the examples people were always pointing to about like, look how horrible this ad is bombing. We're like – By, you know, sincerely a comedian. You know? <laughs> sincerely, yeah. Like people who are in their 40s or 50s or 60s. I mean like that's that's just wasn't the target audience. So – it it does not surprise me that in actually testing the ad, this is probably – I assume Pepsi did not roll with this ad without having tested it first. And I assume this is the kind of data that they got back. Right. Which – does that suggest there are limitations to what polling can do? Just because you get – you know, only 26 percent of people don't like your ad. Maybe those 26 percent of people don't like your ad because they think it's offensive and diminishes – you know, the Very fight for civil struggle. rights. And, mm-hmm. and and so there is, oh, I don't like the ad because I don't like Kendall Jenner or, oh, I don't like the ad because I think Pepsi's gross. But then there's, I don't like the ad because I think it's deeply offensive and concerning that we can address racial tension or conflict with the police via Kendall Jenner. I just corn syrup. Yeah, like false. So, so here's what, so just to kind of draw back the curtain on how some of these conversations often go or could go or should go, right? So the, the, the fact that this adds, let's just to take it at face value that the method, the methodology is correct that the people watching the ad, you know, especially among younger folks, which is what the the morning console polls showed, said that it actually improved their view toward Pepsi after watching the ad, both in the like moment to moment dial as well as a close ended question. So it begs a couple other questions. One, if you had done qualitative, which maybe they did, maybe they didn't internally at Pepsi. If you had done qualitative, would you have, you know, seen some trouble brewing that maybe there was a backlash that a just surface cut at the at the question, you know, doesn't capture one. Two, do you say, look, it doesn't really matter even if our even if our ad tests well with our target audience. What we don't want is a bunch of folks who are engaged in political battles and on Twitter to just go bananas. Like we want to avoid that (laughs) regardless, even if everybody loved the ad in our target audience. If everybody hates the ad who is online and drives news every day, that's also bad. So we're going to you know, do one-on-one interviews with some of these key folks and different stakeholders in these different groups to make sure does it, you know, upset anyone that we have an Asian person playing the cello or that we're, you know, that have these signs that say join the conversation and kind of – Join the O conversation. (laughs) Join the O conversation. So, you know, all those things, right? Did they do that kind of level of qualitative and stakeholder insider research, which if you had a real robust thing, you would do? Um and then the other question is, is there just, you know, it, are the, is this asking the right question? Is favorability toward Pepsi the right, div, you know, 
dependent variable? Or should they be asking things like, how do you feel about this ad? Or did you, did, you know, how does this ad make you feel about, um, you know, do you think it's an appropriate use of a soda commercial or whatever? Like there, maybe there's some other kind of question that would have revealed something Well, and else. they have, they asked in here, do you think it is appropriate or inappropriate for a company to use protests to sell its products? Oh, they did. Morning and Consult here, asked that, Morning yeah. Consult asked that. And here you find for older respondents – 66% saying it is inappropriate to use protests to sell products. But for younger people, it's kind of split down the middle. Like it's, you know, they don't – It's it, does, it doesn't send up red flags. And in fact, it's partially because Republicans seem more ticked off about the concept of like glamorizing this – like in, I, I, I'm guessing that this – instead of Republicans being like – I don't like this ad because it's demeaning the importance of protest. I would bet you these 65-year-old Republicans didn't like it because it's glamorizing protest. Right. Um, But when you take a look at Morning Consult's uh, crosstabs by race, here's where it gets real interesting. When you say, how did you – did this make you – did this ad make you feel more or less favorable toward Pepsi? White respondents are the least likely to say that it makes them feel more favorable. Hispanic respondents, 75 percent said the ad made them feel more favorable. I'm going to table – I'm not going to make a judgment of whether that is a statement on how they view the cultural appropriation of the ad or the alleged or discussed cultural appropriation in the ad. But maybe it's a function of the age breakout of the folks. Of I the, would bet that's a especially big Especially when you're online. It. You're, it's it's going to be tough to get a six-year-old African-American man in an online survey. Like it's just tough to get older people in these online surveys. And older minorities is just, you know, in these panels are yep. just very, very hard. Anyway, that's this was just kind of like a fun joke. We just want to talk about the Pepsi <laughs> commercial some more. But anyway, it gives you a little insight of what ad testing can be like. So yeah. thank you, Morning Consult. That was fun. That was great. That All was right, fun. let's talk about some people who are not Donald Trump. Because <laughs> <sighs> okay. I feel like we start every show lately with what's Trump's job approval? Let's talk about Trump. I don't know about you, but I feel like I like that this week we're giving a little bit of a – I mean, we'll get to Trump in a moment. We'll get deep on the Trump stuff in a yes. moment. But I kind of like that we're not starting off right there. So, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> so we have – and this is from – I think this is also Morning Consult and Politico, isn't it? I believe. Um, and they have a full list of all the different – Senators and governors and how popular or unpopular they all are. This is a lot of job approvals all crammed into one chart and it's very neat. So the America's most popular governors as the Republican on the show, I'm pretty pleased that uh, all 10 of the top 10 are Republicans. But that I think also has to do with the fact that so many governors are Republican right now. But all all 10 of the top 10 are Republican. Uh, Actually, there's 11 because there are two people tied for seventh. So number Mm. one is Charlie Baker in Massachusetts, 75 percent approval. Good job, Charlie Baker. Uh, Number two, Larry Hogan, Republican governor of Maryland, 73 percent. And by the way, that means that the top two are Republicans in blue states. Yes, these are the two Republican – I mean these are two potential real pickups if you were sort of look at party performance in the map. For Democrats, it would be these Republicans in blue, super blue states, um, Baker and Hogan. Um, yet they are folks who, you know, 
They're they, so popular. And then you've got – It's the, consistent with other kind of state polling. I mean it doesn't mean they don't have great challengers because there are lots of folks who are going to, you know, I think challenge these these folks, but at least where they are right now. You've got uh, the gov- the two Republican governors in the Dakotas. You've got uh, Phil Scott, Republican in Vermont, which I wonder if it's that – in order to be a Republican who wins in a blue state, you have to be liked so well because you're fighting such an uphill battle. If that's why we have so many of these blue state Republicans toward the top of this list. So then when you look at the bottom 10, you have another also, Republican Also in a, blue a state. lot of Republicans at the bottom 10. <laughs> There's a lot of Republican governors, but I mean, they seem to be quite polarizing. Republicans are overexposed in governor's races. Oh, Chris Christie. Yeah. Chris Christie. Well, he was, not great. No. <laughs> not he's great. The least popular. Approval rating of 25%. 70-something percent disapprove. And so he just went ouch. He just went out and like said and like trash talked United um, today or yesterday. Yeah, but didn't but, the former CEO of United like is in Well, that was of course going to come up in the story, but here was the other thing <laughs> that mean, Here was the other thing that was pretty funny about his comment that I enjoyed. It was like, well, anyone who flies commercial would tell you, blah blah blah. I'm like, don't say commercial. Every, that's everybody. Okay, you, people are just hanging around. Just say anybody who flies. Like only you know your the rarefied world is like, oh, you mean commercial or do you mean my super jet? Right. So don't <laughs> don't say don't like say, any of you schmucks who fly commercial would obviously know this. Like that's not endearing you to anybody. But anyway, womp I'm, womp. So, but that was before. So, second least this popular. Was done before that comment. Second <laughs> least popular governor in America, Sam Brownback, Republican of Kansas, who uh, cut taxes very severely in Kansas, and that has led to. Whole, there's a whole variety of reasons why Brownback is not terribly popular in Kansas, and this had a big role in the special election that was just held um, this week, where Republicans were fighting to hang on to, I believe it was Pompeo's seat yep. uh, in Kansas four, and uh, Republicans should be able to win that seat pretty easily. And yet there was concern in the end that Republicans were only going to narrowly hang on. So now there's all this debate about, well. Did Republic- yes, Republicans held the seat, but should they have held it more easily? And what's the deal? And are Democrats angry like they could have picked it up? And there are a million hot takes on this topic that I won't dive into. But one of the factors people talked about was you have this really unpopular governor in Sam Brownback. Does that make it harder for a Republican to win in Kansas right now? Third least popular governor, Dan Malloy of Connecticut. Fourth, Rick Snyder of Michigan. Fifth, Bill Walker of Alaska. Hmm. Who's an independent? Who's an independent? Um, okay. And then on the Senate side, you have Team Vermont is at the top. Yeah. With Sanders and <laughs> Leahy as the top two most popular senators. And Vermont, Wyoming, and Maine really like their senators. Vermont wins the top two slots, Bernie and Patrick Leahy. Then behind that, you have Barrasso and Enzi of Wyoming. I wonder what the sample sizes are. I know. I'm going to – I feel like we should – I should look. Okay. You look this up. I'll I'll read through the rest of the list. Then after that, we have Maine, Angus King, and Susan Collins. Then John Thune in seventh place, uh, Brian Schatz in eighth, Thomas Carper of Delaware in ninth, tied with Ron Wyden. Uh, Let's go over to the least popular. It's like kind of these like small or sparsely populated states really like their senators. 
Which makes sense to me, actually. That that totally makes sense. So least popular, Mitch McConnell, who probably doesn't care because he's feeling fairly successful right now and he's been reelected for a while. But Mitch McConnell uh, split uh, disapprove and approve are pretty equal for him. John McCain uh, comes in second. Lindsey Graham comes in third. Lisa Murkowski, fourth. Claire McCaskill, fifth. Tammy Baldwin and Jeff Flake, sixth. Roy Blunt and Debbie Stab. I never want to pronounce her name right. I feel so stupid. I work Stabenow. Stabenow. Okay. Good. Debbie Stabenow. Hey, that's what I'm here. I'm, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> okay. <laughs> As the dim. Um. So were these? I assume these are all taken of the people's yes. own constituents. Yes. yes. Okay. And it's a total of eighty-five thousand registered voters. Wow. It's huge. Yeah. Huge sample. Yeah, because otherwise you'd have a big fat don't know for all these folks. I mean, no offense to John Barrasso, but I don't think his hard ID would be enough nationwide to have. Certainly not. <laughs> Certainly not. Of numbers, so. um, Anyhow, congratulations to Charlie Baker and Bernie Sanders for being top of the charts. It's prom season. We'll call them prom king of Senate and of the governor's crew. Yeah, I'm sure Bernie Sanders loves to be called prom king. <laughs> I'm sure that's like something he has a label, a moniker he feels very comfortable with. <laughs> um, okay. So meanwhile, Trump, the world of Trump. Uh, his approval rating's a teeny bit better this week, but I mean, it's still not great. It's- yeah. I wouldn't say this isn't anything to like – Go, take a home, take home a gold star. Your book on your, you know, yeah. On your Huffington Post pollsters average has his approval at forty three percent. Gallup, which tracks this every day, mm-hmm. found that there really wasn't any movement for Trump after the Syria bombing. That there was that that it wasn't like there's was some big rally around the president effect that happened. Um, so things have not moved a ton, and. I wrote my column today about how, you know, there were some folks that I, over the weekend, you know, I went on one of the Sunday shows. I went on this week and one of the questions was like, are Trump's voters going to abandon him? This is a huge about face on engaging in Syria and he's sticking a finger in Putin's eye. Like, is that going to be a problem with his voters who now love Putin, as we've talked about on the show? But I think <laughs> voters follow their leaders. And so if Donald Trump tomorrow comes out and says – Mexican food. It's the best food. Mexican food is wonderful. Like, I bet you you would suddenly have more Republicans saying Mexican food's my favorite food. Like, it's just people follow leaders they like. And right. And they dismiss information that they, you know, that is not something that they want to integrate into what they're thinking. I mean, this is, you know, this is something that's been shown time and again. And in fact, it is something that we see with this Ipsos Mori exercise. So this is cool. This is cool. And I've complained maybe unfairly about some of their charts before. This set of charts was actually quite useful. You can go to their website and you can click on a little toggle that looks helpfully like your iPhone, different toggles, whether you want to hide or show what happens when you have the word Trump in there, right? So they asked, they split sampled a variety of questions. And so, and they asked people and they show everything by party. 
Uh, for example, I don't care if a government official financially benefits from their position in the government or a government official should be forbidden from financially benefiting from their position. And then the other half of the sample here is I don't care if Donald Trump financially benefits from his position or Donald Trump should be forbidden from financially benefiting. And then you could see the added impact huge of Trump. Huge swings or in some the of these Trump questions. Effect. Right. And so huge – I mean – and some of these questions, for example, the one about financial benefits, there's not that big of a party difference if you don't have Trump. If you're just asking about a government official, just like a vague government official, both Democrats and Republicans say, yeah, that should be forbidden. However, the Trump effect, everything goes topsy-turvy where among Republicans, 70 percent say it would be fine if Donald Trump financially benefits while – 28% of Democrats say it would be fine. That is crazy. And frankly, I'll say it appalling. Yeah. <laughs> appalling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you I mean, you see on a ton of these questions. So healthcare, I think, is a pretty interesting one. Healthcare, the numbers don't move as much for Republicans as they do for Democrats. Right. So on this question, do you agree or disagree with this statement? And half the sample gets made by a government official or gets one that doesn't say Donald Trump. The other one does. So they say when it comes to health care, government should take care of everybody and the government should pay for it. So when you don't have Trump's name involved, 68 percent of Democrats agree. When you take that exact sentence and all you do is preface it by saying this is a statement made by Donald Trump, only 47 percent agree. Republicans, interestingly, I would have expected this to go up higher only 6% of Republicans, only 6% more Republicans say yes to that statement when they hear that Donald Trump said it. I mean, there's so much in here because, first of all, it is quite interesting that a third of Republicans say, yeah, government should take care of everybody and should pay for it. Like, hello, that is, you know, that's kind of a lot of Republicans. I mean, it's a third, but still, it just goes to show that there's this sort of, you know, this groundswell of support sweeping the country that we should just, you know, everyone's out on their own to like barter chickens for healthcare or whatever the Republican vision is of how this is all supposed to work. Um, you know, there are a lot, a lot, quite a few Republicans say no, government should handle all of this. Um, but the Trump effect is not just for Republicans. Democrats have a Trump effect too. And that Democrats are saying, actually, maybe the government shouldn't pay for it if Donald Trump said it is, is, quite a thing. It just forces people to confront a real conflict. Um, So you see a difference in like American exceptionalism. That's a big one. To what extent do you agree or disagree with American exceptionalism? The idea that the USA holds a unique place in history is insulting to people from other countries, right? So that's the statement. And Democrats, majority of Democrats agree, not overwhelming, but they agree. 33% of Republicans agree when it's something made by Donald Trump, only a third of Democrats agree. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a lot of issues where it doesn't look like there's a big shift. So on the issue of abortion, for instance, there really are not big changes when you throw Trump into the mix. People have their views and they stick to those views. On the question of pre-existing conditions and whether health insurance should cover pre-existing conditions, there's almost no movement. But there's also not a lot of room for movement because 80-some-odd percent of people of both parties think, yes, health insurance should cover pre-existing conditions. So there's not a lot of room for anybody to move on that one. Um, on tax, Sorry, Freedom Caucus. Sorry, Freedom Caucus. <laughs> on tax credits, there's also not a 
ton of movement because you have 70-some-odd percent of people agreeing that families should receive tax credits for child care expenses. So some of these, there's not a ton of movement when you add Donald Trump into the mix. Um, but on nuclear arsenal, this is one where you actually see a big bump in uh, Republican support for a policy when you link Trump's name to it. So initially they say, do you think the U.S. has enough nuclear nuclear weapons to keep the country safe? Forty uh, percent say, I do not know. The U.S. does not have enough nuclear weapons. When you say Trump says America does not have enough nuclear weapons, it goes from 40 to 54 percent. So that was one of the ones with bigger movement. So, I mean, it says probably because people don't walk around with a real clear idea of how they feel about that. You, yeah. You know, people have a sense of how they feel about abortion. They have a pretty clear sense about how they feel about pre-existing conditions and tax credits for child care expenses. Um Another one here is infrastructure spending. Sure, why not? Let's you know have infrastructure spending. Maybe they don't think about it every day, but they have a, they have a sense of where they are. Um, you know, nuclear weapons. That's not one that necessarily people feel like they have a handle on the facts per se. Infrastructure spending is a pretty interesting one. Again, one of these issues where there's huge levels of support from both parties. Uh, but when you add to the equation that it's Donald Trump who says the U.S. should spend one trillion dollars to repair the nation's infrastructure. Suddenly, this issue where for both parties, you had about equal levels of overwhelming support, a gap opens up and suddenly Republicans are much are more excited than Democrats about spending a billion dollars to fix road or trillion dollars to fix roads and bridges. So when just by adding Donald Trump's name, you lose a, a chunk of Democrats for supporting infrastructure spending, and you gain some Republicans. But it's still one of the least divisive issues. It's not divisive. Overwhelming support for it. And remember what I've said on previous shows. If Trump wanted to rebound his his approval ratings, he would do infrastructure and meetings with CEOs and put his phone in the shredder. Yep. I think you're correct. <laughs> He's not listening to the show, Margie. Spoiler alert. Oh, yes. Well... And I don't know. I don't know how if anybody on his team is. I'm. I'm a little concerned. I may have. Uh, I. I. I took a shot at Steve Bannon on. Well, sort of. I pointed out on ABC. Is this going to be our PR disaster? ABC this week. Oh yeah. Am I? Am I? Am I veering close to the edge of the cliff no, I think here? We're, I think we're in safe ground if we're insulting. So Steve I. Bannon. I used Quinnipiac data. So Quinnipiac. You know, we've talked about this on the show where they, they ask fave on faves of the president's advisors now, and I found the fave and fave for Steve Bannon. And only 23 percent of Republicans have a favorable view of Steve Bannon. The rest are like, I don't like him. Or they're like, new phone, who dis? Yeah. Like, they, like <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Steve Bannon, I never heard of him. Right. Who is he? What? Right. Steve? Steve who? Right. Huh? Hmm? Right. So because the question was like, wow, if Trump pushes away Bannon and this whole wing of his White House is going to lose his base. And I was like, mm, it's not about the guy, Steve Bannon, if he changes his positions radically on some stuff, eventually, maybe if it's the wrong positions, sure. But firing Steve Bannon, it's not going to keep like it'll anger some people on the Internet, but <laughs> like the Pepsi ad, <laughs> it'll anger people on the Internet. But uh, if you're really only talking about a maximum of 23 percent of Republicans who are already only like what? A 
less than a third of America, then I know. But you know, but it's it's not always interesting if you're like, no, nobody cares about that. Next question. I know. I know. <laughs> um, yeah. No, nobody's following that issue. No, I don't think it's going to change any numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I, my, my, the other, just, everybody wants the here. elegant answer, the bold pronouncement. Like this is the the reason why Trump won. He did X and therefore his approval rating is destined to plummet. Like people love – the media loves the bold. Right. Let's talk about the media actually. Yes. Oh, that was a good segue. That oh, actually kind of worked out. I know. Just by coincidence. Yeah. So Gallup <laughs> – so last week we had – Pew had a study about how people view Trump and the media. And now Gallup has a study out. And I don't remember – I mean there's something about Trump and the media that obviously, you know, people then are de- – you know, just love to talk about it, right? So I think that's part of why we see a lot of polling on Trump and the well, media. the media loves to talk about it. The media it. loves to talk about it. It's just like movies about Hollywood always do well at the Oscars. Yep. It's kind of the same thing, right? And so there's um, – You're so vain. You probably think this poll is about you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, and polling about the, you know, staffers. It's all kind of part of the same thing. Um, But this found that people were really completely – I mean this is quite an almost even division here between too tough – is the media too tough on Trump, about right, or not tough enough? I mean a slight plurality say not tough enough, 37 percent. 32 percent say too tough. A quarter say about right. I mean that's kind of even. And the party breakdowns are exactly what you would expect, although – Slightly fewer Republicans. So in in January, 74 percent of Republicans said the media is too tough on Trump. That has fallen to 64 percent. So 10 point drop in just two months of Republicans thinking the media is out to get Trump. Uh, Meanwhile, for Democrats, you've had a 10 point increase in Democrats saying the media is not tough enough on Trump. Mm. So there has been. Even though you've got Republicans and Democrats with very different views on this, you have seen 10-point shifts in the most extreme categories for both Republicans and Democrats on this question. Right. So do folks on the left think like, hey, are we normalizing this because we're not kind of, you know, you don't have people sort of freaking out in the same the same degree? Or maybe you do. Or maybe that's just the perception. Or maybe this is just a margin of error blip. We're not sure. But presumably, they're going to keep asking this. And then they've asked about uh, how much attention are you paying to the Trump media conflict? And I think we've talked about this a little bit before, but 38% of U.S. adults say they are following the Trump media wars very closely. It jumps up to almost half of Democrats, 49%. But uh, – and this was something that uh, Ariel Edwards-Levy, whose Twitter feed I just mine constantly for like interesting nuggets to talk about on this show. Um, they, she wrote about a poll that uh, Huffington Post did with YouGov where uh, they found that they asked people, which do you agree with more? That you can't keep up with the political news? It's changing so quickly? Or I don't have any problem keeping up with political news. And most people say they don't have any problem keeping up with political news. <laughs> So unlike those of us who are horribly addicted to our Twitter feeds and feel a constant sense of whiplash, like we are the minority. Like, hey, I was That's in a meeting. Weird. What happened? Yeah. yeah like I, <laughs> I went away for three hours last night. I turned on my phone and it was like the world exploding about something that had happened in Kansas. And I mean, it was the special election. Right. But like there's just always something. This is not how most people experience the news. 
Yeah, but is the, but are Trump's voters going to leave, leave him as a result of <laughs> that tweet? This tweet, but um, it is, but it is Democrats who are paying more yeah. attention to the frenzy as both this poll number, where thirty five percent of Clinton voters say they can't keep up, compared to twenty one percent of Trump voters. It is it is folks on the left who are more likely to be like mainlining. What in the heck is going on right now? Well, that makes sense. I mean, for all the reasons that, you know, are obvious that you have more Democrats who are engaged, more Democrats who are worried. So we feel that we need to be paying attention because this is something that's, you know, troubling. So you add all that together and it makes sense that you have Democrats kind of watching some of this. And, you know, you get some kind of joy perhaps of of Trump getting – you know, tangling with the press while folks on the right maybe don't feel that same kind of uh, interest, excitement or worry that drives them to pay attention. Um, but they also had some other questions that said uh, that showed very clear jump in the percentage of people who feel that the media fa- generally favors one political party over the other. It doesn't specify which um, but now you have almost two thirds of Americans say yes. The media favors one party over another. It used to be kind of even. Roughly. Yeah, in two thousand and three, it was pretty even, where you had half half of the half of voters said that the media took sides, or half said no, the media is pretty fair. But now, in order to get those numbers, you have to have a lot of Democrats even acknowledging that the media does not love both parties equally. Right. So right. th- this is not just – you can imagine those numbers in 2003 where it's split half and half, that that's all Republicans saying, ah, oh, the media is out to get us. But you can't get to 62 percent believing that the media favors one party over the other with just people who read Breitbart and listen to Rush. Right, right. And then they had a separate question. Well, which of the people who think that the uh, that the media favors one party over another, which party does it favor? And – Probably not a surprise. Two-thirds of those folks say it's Democrats. And again, this has been a jump among the percentage that say Democrats. So Democrats have always had the advantage here in this question. But again, this is not of overall. This is of the people who feel that uh, the media favors one party. And then a separate question, do you think news organizations get the facts straight or are they often inaccurate? A majority say they're often inaccurate. I mean, I think this question is a little – tough to kind of pin down. I mean, it just gives you kind of an overall sense of how people view the media, but you don't know what kind of media or who they're, what they're thinking about or what kind of inaccuracies are people thinking? Are they thinking of like something, you know, just some small inaccuracy? Are they thinking of something biased? You know, there's like something not true. I mean, it's a little, it's a little bit squishy, but it does reflect kind of the prevailing sense, which is, which has been true for a while that people feel that the news media is more inaccurate than accurate. That's different from where it was in the 90s, where it was the reverse. Well, let's talk a little bit about some more numbers that have reversed. Yes, another good transition. (laughs) Yes. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about Syria. So back in 2013, Washington Post and ABC asked voters a question about whether or not they would support uh, President Obama taking action in Syria if it was found that chemical weapons were used against civilians. And back in 2013, there was not a lot of appetite for it. You had, I believe, uh, 38% of Democrats, only 22% of Republicans supporting even limited military action, even in the context of saying, if chemical weapons are used against civilians. There just wasn't a ton of appetite for it back then. Now they have asked almost the same question. The only difference is there's a new president in town. 
And sure enough, support is way up because Republicans have dramatically shifted on this question. So Democrats are have answered on the question, do you support or oppose President Trump's decision to launch a military strike on a Syrian airbase? Um, 37 percent support, 59 percent oppose. Those numbers are very similar to the way Democrats felt about this issue four years ago when Barack Obama was president. But for Republicans, they went from 22 percent support to 86 percent support. I mean, that is astonishing. Yeah. Now, which is different than surprising. Yep. Because we know people follow their leaders, right? This is why we've seen numbers move on Russia and Wiki. I mean, people move to follow the context, but that is dramatic. I, the thing that I found – so there's a couple things that are interesting about – and there are a variety of new polls about Syria from the last couple of days and one that even came out today. And so by the time you're listening, we're recording Wednesday afternoon. You may see a new one come out in the next week or two. Um, they all are fairly consistent in like the vote, you know, for lack of a better word. Do you favor or oppose this action? So CBS, Huffington Post – this Washington Post, ABC poll, Gallup all asked different wording, different types of questions, diff- slightly different fielding times and methodology and so on. But they they are not really that divergent. I don't want to – I don't. I mean there are differences, but I don't want to overstate them. Um, and it all show a majority support the action. Now, that said, there are some differences in the types of other kinds of questions. It's not simply favor or pose. There's other ways of looking – at views toward the action. And one thing that I thought was particularly interesting in the Washington Post poll that I didn't see in the others is, you know, people support the action, but are, at the same time, they're not confident that it's actually going to end Syri- the Syrian government's use of chemical weapons. So that's, you know, there's a divergence there, um, a discrepancy in how effective people think it will be. So they support it, don't necessarily think it'll be effective, which I think is an interesting finding. And don't necessarily want to take further action. A majority say... They would oppose doing more in right. this situation. And that is some consistency across these polls, which ask it in slightly different ways. Some of them ask about a variety of different actions. Do you support boots on the ground? Do you think, uh, you know, we should have ground troops? Do you think that there should be sanctions? Do you think we should have additional strikes? And uh, any, you know, for the most part, there is un- uneven at best support for some of the specific types of additional action. Depends on how it's phrased. And on the outlet. But while there's support for the action so far, there's mixed support for continuing it further. And there's also divisions over whether or not U.S. policy should be to remove the Syrian president Bashar al-Assad from power. Um, You have 51 percent overall saying that they would support a policy of removing Assad. Um, But within that 51 percent, only 35 of those 51 percent would support military action in support of that goal. The rest sort of say, yes, we should get rid of Assad, but we should not actually do anything militarily to achieve that. Right. Uh, and then you have 30 percent that say they would oppose removing Assad and another 19 percent with no opinion overall. So there is – it depends on how you read it. You could – if you are John McCain you or Marco Rubio, you can come out and say a majority of Americans want to see regime change in Syria. But if you are anti-war or you don't like the use of military action, there's also data in this poll that backs you up. Right. And Gallup – helpfully went through their comparable polling from all of the variety of conflicts going back to the early 80s. And 
comparing this current conflict to the past numbers, they say that uh, support for the airstrikes in Syria is on the low end. It's not as high as some as where it's been, in, you know, after the 9-11 attacks. Um, the numbers kind of look like they did for Clinton with Kosovo. In right. 1999. Right, right. And that, you know, back then it was 5145. Now it's 5041. Again, this is Gallup. Um, and uh, so so that just shows the historical context. It's kind of similar to what Kristen was pointing out from the Washington Post ABC poll that it's not where it was before. So it, it's definitely on the low end, but it, the support is consistent across outlets. There, There is no example on here going back to Grenada in 1983 where Gallup shows – a majority or even a plurality disapproving of a strike like this. So people tend to like bombing bad guys. That's just, I mean, what you see in polls. But there are big swings based on the context. So this is not three weeks after 9-11 when you had 90 percent of people saying they would approve of military action in Afghanistan. Very different. This is not the same context. Yes. And, and, you know, there is this notion that we rally around the commander in chief in in moments of a military crisis or action um, that doesn't, you know, that people have been discussing what this might mean for Trump's approval rating, if that was a motivation for him and so on. Um, it doesn't seem to have an effect, maybe, but, you know, not really. Um, it, I think it's, you know, but you do see, though, that it's still consistent with support for an action. Um, if you look at Gallup's full wording, they show all the full question wording that they've used going back to 1983. And it varies a little bit, too. So it's not simply, I mean, it, it just varies a little bit depending on the action. So talking about airstrikes is specific. There are others, like for example, in Haiti, do you approve or disapprove of the presence of U.S. troops? I mean, some of them are a little bit vaguer um, depending on the type of action or they'll some of them will have a time frame or a motivation or so on. So it's worth taking a look at. I don't know if we can draw a conclusion that the wording is really what's the issue here, again, because all of the current polling points in the same direction. Um, but it does – show how tricky it is to ask about that. It's not simply support or oppose. When you so CBS News has also done a little bit of polling on this question. Um, they find uh, similar numbers when it comes to approval. You have a slim approval for the airstrikes themselves. When you ask people how far are you willing to go, uh, you find only 18 percent of people, though, are supportive of military involvement with ground troops. Only 18 percent want to see boots on the ground. You add another 30 percent if you say, look, it's just airstrikes, no ground troops. Um, but then you've got 26 percent who say all they want to see are diplomatic talks and 15 percent who say we shouldn't be doing anything with this at all. Right. And then, you know, another little layer that CBS asked, um, I, I don't think the other outlets have, which is, should Trump get congressional approval? And two thirds said yes. I mean, this is often true where people will say, yes, the president should get congressional approval before whatever, even if people hate Congress. I mean, it's interesting here. The Democrats are like, yes, he should get congressional approval, even though that's, you know, wouldn't really change anything. But um Eighty-four percent of Democrats say he should get congressional approval. Fifty-three percent of Republicans, um, but still majorities across the board feel that way. Um, but that I think would be true, no matter who the president or what the makeup of Congress was or what the question even was about. You would find majorities that would say, "Should should President X get approval from Congress to do Y?" People would be like, "Yes," I think. even though everybody hates Congress. Right. Right. <laughs> 
The the final thing that CBS asked that I think was interesting is about whether or not the Syrian government's use of chemical weapons is immoral uh, and then to what extent it is or is not a direct threat to the U.S. So you find that 45 percent of people think it was immoral and a direct threat to the U.S. 42 percent say immoral, immoral but not a direct threat and only 7 percent say not a concern either way. Republicans much more likely to view this as being a direct threat to the U.S., compared to Democrats and independents. So that's a roundup of Syria polling. Take a look. Keep look. There will be more for and, sure. And, and polling on foreign policy stuff moves fast. It, I, I feel like attitudes on foreign policy change very quickly based on events in a way that a lot of domestic policy stuff I think is much more stable. Right. Because, you know, this is – People, an issue is going to come into the foreground and people are going to pay close attention to it and then it will recede. That's just the mm-hmm. nature of foreign policy because for a lot of voters, it's not – they don't feel necessarily that it has an impact on their daily life. Um, We don't have a good transition. But we need to talk about this Cadbury cream But we situation. need to talk about – we are ready now for the <laughs> thing that will have an impact on people's lives locally uh, this weekend, which is candy and Easter candy. Um. And or if you're me, potato chips. Potato chips. That's right. Waiting for Sunday. Waiting for Sunday. Oh, that's right. It's going to be time. Uh, I was at for Pop Belly today for lunch, and there's so many good potato chips there, and I'm just looking at them all. They all look so delicious. Soon, soon. Well, potato you could chips. have instead. You could have a, a peep or jelly oh, beans. Peeps are garbage. Yeah, peeps are pretty gross. So we found <laughs> quite a bit of. Easter polling. First, the top five Easter treats, according to Retail Me Not, Reese's mini peanut butter chocolate eggs, chocolate bunnies, jelly beans. Jelly beans? You know, there's like a springy thing. Oh, I mean, I know that that's an Easter thing. I'm just – that seems high on that list. It's kind of innocuous. You don't feel like – you can't like gorge on them, so you feel like Uh. you can (laughs) – I mean, I don't know. I just feel like you can – like no one eats like 100 jelly beans. So I feel like it's kind of a safer like – I remember back in high school, Jelly Belly opened a store. It was either at the mall or like out at the big shopping plaza at Disney where you could buy jelly beans in just a specific flavor that you liked. Like I think my friend Nicole had a thing for like the pear-flavored jelly beans. Hmm. I weirdly liked the buttered popcorn ones. So Ugh. I <laughs> – we're really going to have beef over candy today, aren't we? The butter popcorn and pina colada jelly bellies have two of those at once. Pina coladas, mm, pina colada, so good, so good. Uh, so wait, so what is your opposition to Cadbury cream eggs? So when I was a kid, I would watch those commercials, and I'm sh- you know I'm sure they've improved their advertising, but it looked like it was a chocolate egg with like a raw a cho- oh, with a yeah. raw egg inside and i remember thinking as a kid that looks disgusting i never want to eat that in a million years because it just looked i'm like why would i want a chocolate filled with a raw egg doesn't the bunny lay the, the egg bunny too? lays this like raw egg in a chocolate crust and that i know that that's not i know for sure that that's not i mean i'm assuming because i've never tried it that it's not actually a raw egg in a chocolate case but that's what it looked like and i have refused to try them forever and they're one of my husband's favorites too. And I, I, I'm just like, how could you like that? It just looks like the most disgusting. And and I, I mean, I'm assuming it just tastes like like cream you'd find in a like a Twinkie or it's, something. N- uh, no, no, what no, no. It it's t- not that kind of cream. It's um, 
it's it's thicker and it's much more it's much more just like straight like viscous sugar. Yeah, I'm I'm really not selling this but to it's, you. It's so, not a raw egg, though, right? <laughs> no, it's not a raw egg. It's it's much more like icing, like frosting. Okay, good. I guess that so. Sounds this fine, is but I don't, I'm ten still not years ago was the first time I ever went to the UK, and I was super broke, you know, kid fresh out of college esque, and um, went to a McDonald's in London. And this was right before Easter, and they had Cadbury Cream Egg McFlurries, mm. where they would shake like the chocolate shell in, and then they had like the innards of the thing like in a squeeze bottle that they would squeeze. So I'm oh, again that totally not describing this well, <laughs> but it was amazing, and I've never found one again. Huh. Well, I mean, it's not. It wasn't good enough for me to like buy another transatlantic ticket to go like procure this McFlurry. But McDonald's, if you're listening. Hmm. You should give it a whirl over here. I don't know. My my husband was once <laughs> employee of the month at the McDonald's in Winchester, England. So maybe he had to make oh. those. You know, it's just rot, you know. I feel like I am stone. discovering a surprising number of people that I know in this orbit who have done a turn working at McDonald's. So I I was just listening like to Paul the, Ryan. The, the Paul Ryan too. Man, mm-hmm. everybody. This is that y'all it's that's like an elite crew. Uh, of James alumni, alumni. <laughs> like my my hourly job was theme park work. I did not work at a McDonald's, uh, but I it, I I was at a clothing store, which is probably not. A oh, surprise. that's fancy. Yeah, that was that's fancy. It, it was. Uh, yeah, I know. I didn't really do. I didn't really put, pay my dues. <laughs> <laughs> theme park I work. Was I didn't come intense. home like smelling like ice cream or whatever. Yeah. Well, I, the the substandard, which is my favorite podcast, that's not the pollsters. They did a mini sode this week about chicken nuggets, and it turned out that like everybody who is a host on that show had worked at McDonald's at some point. I was stunned. <laughs> it's so anyhow. Did you see the guy who <laughs> tweeted at Wendy's? Like, how many tweets do I need? How many retweets? That do was I the need? point of the substandard oh, okay. mini sode. Yeah, to the- get free nuggets <laughs> for life or whatever. And they're like, I did eight, my part. They're like eighteen million. He's like, okay, it's happening. <laughs> but I think they fe- they figured out that, that would have to be like six percent of all Twitter users, and so like I think he's he's maxed out at like two million. Like, there's just no way. And of course, United tried to get in on it before. All of this, like gesturing wildly uh, by saying that they would fly that guy anywhere in the world to the McDonald's of his choice or the Wendy's of his choice to get these nugs. <laughs> I don't think that's a high priority for them anymore. No, maybe, it would be pretty funny if they tried. They're like, hey, new topic. <laughs> Hi, guys. <laughs> we have a new topic. We, Internet. Should have, we should have dug up some polling on how people feel about airlines. Maybe we can do that next week if this is still a thing. I have a feeling it's not great. So um, so, so anyway, so then I, I have to say I'm not sure I feel so good about any of these candies. But we'll see because we're going to do our Easter egg hunt at our house this weekend. And – you know, I, I'm kind of a little type A, so I'm like I'm kind of like a toy egg mom as opposed Ooh, okay. to a candy. I have we have a little bit of candy, but you know, I gotta make sure it doesn't have nuts in it. So I gotta be a little like I gotta micromanage the egg process. And I remember like one Easter doing this, and I'm like, okay, I said to the rest of my family, you guys, I'm not gonna, you guys hide the eggs. I'm gonna finish whatever I was finishing, and. Like my whole family was like, how do you want us to hide him? Where do you want us to hide him? I'm like, you know, you're all adults. Like I'm not going to micromanage the hiding of Easter egg for like four-year-olds. And then I see them 
hiding everything badly. I'm like, okay, actually, I'm here to micromanage. <laughs> I take that back. Everyone stop what you're doing. <laughs> Give me those eggs. <laughs> I would love to see a psychology experiment. You know, like the experiment where they have they tell the kids like, okay, either eat the marshmallow, but if you don't eat the marshmallow, yes. then you'll get two later. And they've followed kids and like the kids that don't eat the marshmallow like do better or in yes. I would love to figure out if you gave kids the option of eggs filled with candy, a toy, or money, mm. which they would choose Depends and how those people turn out long term. I guess that would have depended on the age for sure. But I remember being way into the the money eggs and getting super pumped when I'd pick one up and I'd shake it and you wouldn't hear anything because it was mm. like, that's paper in there. Mm. That's paper. Yes. Yeah. So I'm a Republican, obviously. No. Funny Easter eggs were all all well, but about you know it in Passover you you search for the Afi Komen, which is like you hide the matzah and then you get money for that too. So there's still like a money. There's always a little bit of a money thing. But I had my kids are too young to really to actually know the value of a dollar. <laughs> Compound interest is your friend, kids. Get the um, money eggs. Put it in a I savings just, account. I just want to make sure Beckett doesn't like eat anything like that's not ingestible. That's like basically you could take avocados and just like kind of make yeah, the outside true. look like crackers. An egg. That's he says guacamole now, but it's just amole. That's like his favorite. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> amole. <laughs> guacamole is a little complicated. Meanwhile, I'm, uh, like most Americans, spending record amount of money on Easter, according to NRF, always here for the here at the nick of time with a poll about a holiday. And how people are spending record amounts of money. They're spending a record amount of money planning on Easter and most of that will be for the most part that's on candy and on food. I reserved my lamb. I ordered my eggs. I'm on track with America. You are ready to go. People are not spending it on flowers or decoration or clothing. Agreed, agreed, agreed. Greeting cards. Forget it. Yeah, I'm bad at greeting cards. Bad at terrible greeting I'm cards. I'm married into a family that's very big on greeting Ugh. cards, and I'm so terrible I at know. it. I know. Same, same. And I'm just like, it's just all I can do to like sign it and close it and lick the seal of the card. It's like, oh, great. <laughs> Thanks for this time suck. <laughs> um, but yeah. So anyway, but candy and food, I'm down with that. Okay. So our key findings. With all the PR disasters this week, a good reminder that polling can't necessarily prevent them. And I don't think we actually committed any, so that's good. We can have a high five afterwards. If you're looking for a quick way to make an issue more divisive, may we suggest two words, President Trump. Um, Happy Easter and happy Passover. Some pro tips. Don't assault anyone. Don't compare anything to Hitler. Buy lots of candy and matzah. Trust us. We've seen the polling on this. You can find us on Twitter at at the pollsters, individually at at Margie O'Mero and at Soltis Anderson. You can find us at www.thepolsters.com where we have links to all of our favorite polling resources or on Facebook where we post links to stories we might be talking about in upcoming shows. Don't forget to tell your friends. Leave reviews. We love to hear from you and we love those five-star reviews, they really help us get new listeners to the show, especially since it's not election season anymore. We need you guys who are listening to the show to let people know we talk about fun stuff. It's not just the election. Keep the momentum going. So thank you so much for listening. We appreciate you. Thank you. A Westwood One podcast production. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. 
the one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS, wireless figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.